Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Welcome to another edition of the Pilot's Advisor. I'm Walter Storholt here alongside Ryan Fleming, financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving you throughout the world, based out of Georgia now. You can email Ryan at ryan at flemingfg.com if you have any questions on today's show. That's ryan at flemingfg.com. Ryan, great to talk with you. How are you, sir? Good morning, Walter. How are you doing this morning? Uh, Pretty good. Just, you know, we talked, I think, on one of our recent episodes. We're always recording pretty early in the morning. Seems to be our regular routine, doesn't it? It does. And even more exciting is uh, recording here from home today. And my kids are on fall break already. So we might get some nice background noise. It's kind of funny that you say they're on fall break because I still feel like schools, at least where I am, schools still haven't gone in person. So it's like, why do they need a fall break? Like they've barely been able to learn anything anyway. It seems to be the the takeaway how difficult this whole online learning thing is for a lot of the different age groups. So it just seems odd that we're already at fall break when I feel like the year hasn't even started. Like the, the school year shouldn't have even started, it feels well, like. Well, 2020 is the gift that keeps <laughs> on giving. But I guess it's something that's a little bit non-standard, at least from what I'm used to here in Georgia, is they have this week-long fall break, but then their winter break is like not as long as other schools. So oh, it's kind of okay. like an intermediate break here. So instead of that two-day fall break and then a longer winter break, they uh, they get a full week at fall and then a little bit shorter at the wintertime. Evidently. Okay. That's a little bit kind of like that, that year-round school school model. Did you ever experience that growing up um, or have your kids, as you guys have moved around, ever experienced My sister-in-law's that? kids do that, and it's it's kind of crazy because then they're able to take vacations off the normal you know schedule yeah. that everybody else is on. So I, I can see areas of where that would be great, and I can also see areas where you know be concerning because they never are, are not in school per se. Yeah, I mean, there's something certainly nostalgic about that summertime full two and a half to three months or whatever it is off as a kid of just it's it's a whole different phase of of the year and of life and a a chance for for growth and something different. And do you lose that by shortening, you know, into multiple little breaks throughout the year? Do you lose some of that essence of of the true summer break? I don't know if it's a detriment or not. It may just be something to get used to. But Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because we're no, no longer kids aren't riding their bikes all over town and going to the pool every day. They're basically, you know, fighting for electronics. <laughs> I don't know if you need that long of a break. <laughs> I remember back in the day, it was always, you know, we mapped out the entire summer week by week of what camps we were going to go to. You know, it was, it, we were going to do, uh, you know, the traditional camp, you know, overnight stays for this part. Then it was roller hockey camp for a week. And then, you know, all sorts of different options uh, as you went throughout the throughout the summer. So it was always fun kind of plotting those things out. But uh I guess maybe you don't get to do that quite as much these days. No, not not so much. And then I, you know, I think about that. I never got to go to one of these go away camps because we never really had the money for that. I do remember getting to go to a basketball camp here and there, but most of the time I was swim team riding my bike, and then just I had to go hang out at the pool all day long every day and do play Foursquare, and that's kind of what I did. <laughs> Foursquare. Oh my gosh, I haven't thought about Foursquare in in quite some time, Ryan. Wow, you just brought back some memories. Of Foursquare. I think I'd, I'd forgotten Foursquare existed. Oh, yeah. Oh, we goodness. had massive tournaments. Oh, yeah. I get, you know what the new Foursquare is? 
It's um that beach game with the it's the circle with the ball. What do they call it? It's like a it's like a yellow. It's they've turned it into like an actual sport now. They have little tournaments and competitions um, where you have a team of four, uh, two, two teams of two, and you have to spike a spike ball. That's what it's called. You have to spike the ball onto the mat onto the little trampoline. And then before it hits the ground, the other team has to then, they can pass it to one another or they have to spike it back down. But you can't like cradle the ball. You have to truly hit it and tap it and spike it onto the thing. And so it's this crazy game with people diving all around the place. Have you seen that? I I think I have seen it. I've never played it, but I've seen people doing it. That's like the 21st century version of uh, Foursquare in in my eyes. That or, you know, the new game now that everybody plays is Cornhole. Well, that's true. Yeah. Bags, you know, depending on what part of the country you're from. Bags? Who calls it bags? Uh, up in Chicago, that's what they call it. They call it bags. Is that right? Yeah. I did not know that. I thought it was pretty universally cornhole, but well, you know, you know they've got a similar. You talk to your mom, and you know, you you talk a little different. <laughs> I know in the Northeast they play. Uh, at least my uh, my aunt and uncle and their family and friends they play a game called Quates, which is kind of like cornhole, but with he- these heavy weights, these heavy rubber weights. And you get them to kind of land on the board, but it's a little bit more like horseshoes where there's a rod in the board that you can still get a ringer with because there are weights with a hole in them. And it's, it's actually pretty hard. It's hard to get it to land on the board consistently. I, I don't think I've version. seen that game before. but Yeah, that's their version. That's the, the, the Northeast Pennsylvania version of Cornhole seems to be Quates. Nice. So, well, we went in all sorts of directions this morning. Oh, we I, have. I like we have. Nobody wants to talk about <laughs> financial stuff anyway. Well, in honor of your kids not learning this week, why don't we why don't we do some learning for them? We'll fill the gap in. We're we're already learning about quates and bags and all yeah, sorts of stuff. Yeah, I thought you were just going to suggest a podcast where we just talked about random stuff. <laughs> where, oh, where we don't learn, where we just just, just chit chat the whole time. I was going to pick up the kids' slack since they're not they're not studying right now. I've got some interesting stats and figures for you. Now I know people might groan and go, oh, "Okay, stats and figures," but we're going to put everything in context and. It's actually pretty interesting to look at. So, and they're a little bit eye-opening, I think, in many ways. So, Vanguard, you know, reputable financial company that puts out a lot of, I think, you know, smart studies and and thoughts on all sorts of elements about retirement and financial planning. They release a report called How America Saves 2020. And it's packed with lots of intriguing stats and findings about Americans and how they save for retirement in this crazy year that is 2020. Now, most of the recent data is technically from 2019, although some of the figures do go up to spring of 2020, so some of 2020 is incorporated in this. I just want to take a look at some of the takeaways. I kind of parsed through this thing. It's many, many pages long, Ryan, but I parsed through it and pulled out some of what I thought were the most interesting takeaways. I wanted to get kind of your your thoughts and reactions to some of these things. How's that sound? That sounds wonderful. I got to put a quick hopeless plug in there for the uh, the advisors out there because Vanguard did one of their most famous studies a couple of years back, and it showed that working with an advisor over the long term is going to give you three percent or more return than what you'd get by yourself. Well, there you go. So see, one uh, we we said Vanguard was a reputable place, right? And then that, no. <laughs> that shows it even more. <laughs> no, they're great. Fan- Fantastic. All right. So here was uh, here's one of the takeaways. Data now shows that defined contribution plans. So those are 401ks, 403bs, those kinds of things are now used by more than 100 million Americans with assets totaling in excess of eight point eight trillion dollars. Sounds like quite a bit, of course. I'm curious, what about your client base, Ryan? Are defined contribution plans pretty much the centerpiece of every retirement plan, like it seems to be for uh, the majority of Americans? 
Well, I'd say absolutely. Now, the the big numbers of how many Americans and how many dollars are in it doesn't really all that's telling me nowadays is that we've gone away from any pensions and it's everybody's personal responsibility to save for retirement. But yes, I would say the far majority of my client base are, are dealing with a 401k plan at their company or, you know, a TSP in the military and might have small little pensions depending on where they work. And that may be um, very common as well, the fact that it's not just one of those kinds of accounts, but you may have people that have multiple defined contribution plans. Well, absolutely. And with a lot of pilots, they might have worked at another airline prior to getting to their airline for life or legacy airline. So there's a lot of old 401k plans, which you absolutely need to keep track of and, and probably roll over into your own personal IRA or Roth IRA, depending on if it's pre-tax or post-tax money. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the academic approach to investing and saving and planning for retirement that Ryan talks about here on The Pilot's Advisor? Well, if so, go visit pilotsadvisor.com, pilotsadvisor.com. You can watch a quick webinar on the academic approach to investing. It'll show you how not to speculate and gamble with your money. It's all based on Nobel Prize winning research. Only takes about 10 minutes to get through the video and watch it. Going to be worth your time, I promise you. Go check it out right now, pilotsadvisor.com. It's a webinar that covers that academic approach to investing, pilotsadvisor.com. All right, back to the show. Interesting stats for sure. All right, here's another one for you. What are your reactions to the following takeaways from this study? Only 15% of plan participants use catch-up contributions when they're offered. And only 20% of plan participants use Roth or some sort of after-tax option, like you just mentioned, when offered. It's only 15 using catch-up and only 20% using the Roth option. Makes me sick to my stomach, Walter. <laughs> they, they, those seemed like really low numbers to me, right? Well, absolutely very low. And, and I, th- I think, once again, people just have no clue how much they truly have to save to retire. And then the other thing is, you know, just recently, we've started having one, more of the option of the 401k Roth option, where, you know, in a 401k, you can actually pay taxes now and it'd be Roth money for the rest rest of the time. And I think that that is something that if you're a person that's been doing nothing but pre-tax contributions into your 401k for the last 20 years, you almost don't even know that that exists. And it's something that is needs to be taken advantage of because of, as I always talk about, the ticking tax time bomb of pre-tax money. I've uh, put actually into my calendar for January 1st to my wife and I are going to go into her work account and start shifting more dollars into Roth. So we've we've we're going to kind of keep things as they are contribution level wise through the rest of the year, but then starting January 1 we're going to uh, start adding more into the Roth and and kind of switch that short-term benefit of the tax write-off, you know, in the current year now that we're both in, you know, sh- she's finally out of school and in a stable stable job, stable income and all those kinds of things so we're going to try and quit taking that upfront benefit and start putting the delayed benefit as the priority and, and move more over to Roth. So we hope to be joining more of that 20%. Well, we're already part of the 20%, but we're going to put even more weight behind that 20% yeah, in terms and, of those contributions. And I put a plug out there for everyone. If you do have the ability to contribute to a Roth, I think it's absolutely something that you should do for a couple reasons. It's it's definitely a lot more complicated than this. And you know we've written a couple books on this with uh, book Diffuse. Diffused and also the pilot's advisor. However, to simplify it in the easiest way possible, 
is, you know, do you think taxes are going to go up in the future? And, and sadly, I think with the current environment we're in, I don't see how they can't. So you talk about the small deferral of your adjusted gross income by having the pre-tax contributions. But, you know, if you're just going to pay more, more later on a bigger amount, if that's what you believe. And, I, and that's what I believe. That's what I see going forward because we have historic low tax rates right now. If you want to learn more about those books or to uh, watch a webinar on the academic approach to investing that Ryan takes and how you can tap into more of these this kind of data, these kind of takeaways, and you want to look at some Nobel Prize winning research, you can do that at pilotsadvisor.com. Again, that's pilotsadvisor.com. And we'll put a link in the description of today's show to reference that for sure. Another takeaway from this Vanguard report, Ryan, average number of funds offered in a plan. All right, so this is the average number of, of mutual funds, I assume, offered inside of the typical plan is 17.4. We'll just call it 17 to make it easy. Uh, but the average number of funds used, all right, so 17 available, but the average used is less than two and a half. So a little over two. Is this reflective of that common criticism I've heard you talk about in the past that there just really aren't a lot of choices in many of these defined contribution plans. And that's why maybe some people don't realize that there's other opportunities out there. Well, I'd, first of all, I absolutely agree that 401k plans or defined contribution plans are more limited. You know, that they have less options of, of funds that you can invest in. But this, this one talking about where there's an average of 17 in each 401k plan, and investors are only using about 2 or 2.4, just tells me once again that we're really missing the boat on being truly globally diversified. Now, I wonder if some of the that has to do with these a lot of the target date funds they have now, which would explain the 2.4, maybe a little bit more, but it's just concerning. I do something called a portfolio MRI, which uh, many of my, uh, my current clients know about, where I analyze... Uh, someone's portfolio really get into the weeds of how they're allocated and what asset classes they have, you know, exposure to. And I'll tell you, I've done thousands and thousands of these, and it is amazing to me how people are really missing the boat on being diversified. Yeah, it's too bad. I think diversification definitely one of those areas of improvement for many folks. Now, this is another good takeaway. Not everybody is taking advantage of matching. And if some of the earlier stats made you sad, Ryan, this one will certainly do that to you. Uh, now, this was in 2019. 34% of participants in retirement plans did not contribute enough to meet their employer's match amount. 18% matched it exactly, but contributed nothing more. And 48% contributed more than the employer match. Is there ever a reason that that 34% should not at least be meeting the employer match? I mean, how do you help guide people on whether to hit exactly the match or go above it or, hey, it's not worth the match? I'm, I'm having trouble envisioning you ever suggesting that latter part. Well, it's free money. <laughs> I mean, I look at, you know, if the match was 34%, or 40%, we'll say, which is totally unrealistic. No company would ever match 40%. But if they did, I'd put 40% in. You know, I, I, would, I wouldn't eat for a couple of weeks to put 40% in. Why? Because it's free money. So it's literally a 100% return on your investment, right? If absolutely. you want to look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't care what the matching is at your, uh, at your company, but I think at a minimum, you should put that in because, as you said, it's 100% return on your money, it's free money. And it, yes, it is sad to just see the numbers. And, you know, there may be, 
many reasons for you know investors not doing this. But the thing that I've noticed is probably one of the impo- most important things that you need to pay attention to for your future and retirement is these defined contribution plans. Yet so many people just put it on the back burner, ignore it, never set it up even. And and uh, I guess that's why I have a job. But yes, it's your life can be a lot easier by planning ahead and, and taking advantage of some of these matching. Well, hey there. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Pilots Advisor today. Just wanted to take a quick moment from the show to remind you that if you have any questions ever about what Ryan talks about on the program, need any assistance with your financial planning, need some guidance to get to and through retirement, or whatever financial questions might be on your mind, don't ever hesitate to reach out. The simple way to get in touch with Ryan is to pick up the phone and call or text 843-475-3038. Again, that's 843-475-3038. You can also find Ryan online at FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. And as always, we put contact information to get in touch with Ryan in the description or the show notes section of the program. So just check it out on whatever app you're using, and it's easy to get in touch with Ryan. All right, now back to the show. All right, we'll shift gears just slightly here, although this does all kind of revolve around this realm of what people are doing in their retirement plans and especially defined contribution plans and those kinds of things. But I wanted to look at the rate of return averages. Now, an amazing takeaway is looking at 2015 to 2019. All right, so 2015 to 2019. This is interesting. So what was the average rate of return in everybody's plan? So all the retirement plans out there, all averaged together each year, what did the returns look like? 2015, minus 0.4%. So basically nothing. 2016, 8.3%. 2017, 18%. We're liking that. 2018%, well, back down, negative 5.3%. And then 2019, (laughs) 22.4%. And we know that we have had lots of ups and downs in 2020, although we're not at the end of the year just yet, Ryan. Is this a great illustration of that year-to-year fluctuation of the market or what? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, the markets are volatile, but that volatility is what gives us the return. I think this is one of the hardest concepts for the average investor to to conceptualize. And that is just the, you know, that each year you're not going to always have a positive figure. You know, it's not linear at all, but over the long term is where you win. And that's why it's so important to be a a long term investor. Now, I look at those returns and of course I I I can, you know, think back and know, you know, because I'm watching the market all the time, what exactly happened. And just to give our investors a picture of the last two years, because really the market's been pretty much flat for the last two years. And here's why. Sadly, most people have way too much exposure to the S P five hundred, US large cap stocks. At the very end of 2018, you know, it's showing here that the overall is a negative 5.3% loss for that year. But if you remember correctly, in that fourth quarter, U.S. large cap S&P went down almost over 20% in that last quarter. So then I look at 2019 and everybody was so excited because we made 19.4% or excuse me on this 22.4%. And, you know, so many of my, uh, my, my clients were real excited about that. Oh, we're having a great year where in my mind, I'm kind of going, no, we're actually just trying to recover from what happened in 2018. You know, so 2019 allowed us to recover from what happened at the end of 2018 and got us above, you know, ahead again. And then of course, 2020 coronavirus, we're right back to where we were. 
I think, you know, in most people's portfolios, we've almost totally recovered uh, now after the huge fluctuations we've had this year. But, but it just goes to show you, you can't, you can't make an emotional decision off of short-term fluctuations in the market. You have to play the long game because it is. It's going to be up and down and all over the place. And if you don't take an academic approach and, and with long-term figures, you're probably going to hurt yourself, which is what a lot of investors do. One or two more takeaways, Ryan, from this study that uh, Vanguard put out, this How America Saves 2020 report. And then next point has to do with leaving funds with an old employer. Well, it's a pretty darn common thing to do. In fact, 80% of participants who have been terminated still have their assets with the prior employer. So very few people are doing something with that leftover 401k or 403b. This is interesting. What it actually means is that 96% of all available assets that are available to distribute or roll over are still sitting inside the defined contribution plans. What would be the impact if a lot more of that 96% of assets started making its way into IRAs, Roth IRAs, and the like? Well, I recommend rolling over your old 401k plans immediately into an IRA or a Roth IRA for a multitude of reasons. To keep it simple, number one, you're going to have less investing costs than a 401k plan and many, many more options. Once you go to an IRA or a Roth IRA, you can invest the money anywhere versus having, as we saw on average, 17 choices. And then also, so many people leave their 401k plans at their their old employers. And if in this new generation, you're bouncing around a lot more, people don't know where their money is. They don't have it consolidated at all. Pilots are bad about this with their old airlines, not getting them rolled over. And I don't recommend rolling it over into your new 401k. Put it into your own IRA. But I, I have a client right now that he's bounced around to a lot of jobs, which is kind of a, a new, the new generation thing where there's no like, you know, where you work at a company for 30 to 35 years. It's more like, you know, two to five, and then you bounce around to the next company. And I keep talking to him about you got to get your money consolidated because he has 401k plans all over the place and doesn't even know how to call the companies and talk to the HR to get it squared away. And it's a big problem. Yeah, that's a great point. I am uh, maybe it's partially OCD. I couldn't wait to get an old 401k away from the old employer. Like I just <laughs> don't you want to cut ties yeah, at some point? Yeah, cut ties you know, like, and, and protect your money. And consolidate, you know, like it was with some random account that I was going to have to keep track of that bookmark and the company name and all that kind of stuff for a really long time and I was like I want to get it all consolidated into into one place under one umbrella at least you know minimize as much as I can like I've hated the process of when we we get a mortgage you know over the last couple of of years and uh, your mortgage you know can be bought and sold and and gone to a new company and now it's being serviced under new accounts like ah oh, now I've got another account I got to log into to keep track of this it was a day of celebration when our loan was finally sold to the bank that we normally use I was like oh good it'll just all be on the same all page in one I don't spot. Have to. Well, and it's, it's kind of like the, about the financial junk drawer that we talk about. I mean, if you have stuff all That's over right. the place, you really have no clue what's going on with your money. That's right. Uh, good plug. Go go listen to the financial junk drawer episode. It was uh, probably a couple of months ago. You can go check check that one out. That was a good episode about finding things that you know you maybe have forgotten about in your financial life. Just kind of like how we forget about useful things sitting around in the junk drawer sometimes. So worth checking out. All right. Last but not least, Ryan. One more takeaway here. And again, there were lots and lots of takeaways, but I just tried to pick out some of the interesting ones. Seventy six percent of participants in these plans were deemed to have balanced strategies. 
or you know, I guess maybe we could say say that's diversification, but we'll we'll say balanced strategies is what it said in the study. That seems like a surprisingly good number of folks. Is that the case with people that you meet? Are are more than three fourths of the folks that you meet with coming in with balanced strategies? Well, I guess it really depends on what our definition of a balanced strategy is. When when you look at most mutual fund companies, when they talk about a balanced strategy. It's talking about having a lot more, you know, like a 50-50 split between stocks and bonds is more of a balanced strategy versus a long-term growth strategy that might be, you know, 80-20 or 85-15. I think the most important thing when I look at something like this is to make sure that somebody's invested and aligned with their risk tolerance. So, so much of this is not about your age. It's not, a, you know, you, it's not about how soon until, until you retire. It's really about how, how long-term is your money and, and what kind of market fluctuations can you handle. So if you don't know what a standard deviation is and you don't know why you're invested the way you are, you really need to talk to your advisor and, and discuss those things because risk tolerance is very, very important for expectations with investing. Well, if anybody would like to talk to Ryan a little bit more about your own financial plan, maybe you've got one of those 401ks left at an old employer, or you've just got some questions about how you're allocated within that plan. You know, we talked about the ups and downs of the market and how that's been reflected over the years. What will 2020 end up looking like when all is said and done? We've just recently had some more volatility in the market. It's not going to stop, I don't think, anytime in the near future in terms of the ups and downs. It's certainly been the trend every year. As of late, if you want to get in touch with Ryan, you can do so easily. Call or text 843-475-3038, 843-475-3038, or go online to FlemingFG.com. Lots of great resources for you on the website. You can listen to past episodes of the podcast and much more, FlemingFG.com. And we'll also put a link to that website and Ryan's contact information in the show notes of today's episode so it's easy for you to find. Ryan, thanks for the help today. This was a lot of fun diving into this report with you. Thanks for the good takeaways. Tell those kids to get back to school, all right? We'll do that. Great article. Thank you for bringing up those those stats and a good talk about them. If you do have an old 401k out there, please reach out to me and I can help you get that rolled over. You really want to consolidate your assets. Everyone have a wonderful day. Fly safe and take care. You've been listening to The Pilot's Advisor, featuring Ryan Fleming, a financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving clients worldwide, but based out of Charleston, South Carolina. If you have any questions for Ryan on what we've talked about on today's show, maybe a future topic idea, or want to talk more about getting a complimentary review of your financial plan, here's the best ways to get in touch. You can go online to the website, FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. You can also email Ryan. It's simply ryan at flemingfg.com. Or you can call or text to get in touch. 843-475-3038 is the number. That's 843-475-3038. Thanks for listening to The Pilot's Advisor. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, in many more locations. So whatever app you like to use, search for the Pilots Advisor podcast today and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.